Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. Well, good morning, Beth. Good morning, Tara. So you are calling from Durango. Is it Durango, literally? Durango, Colorado. Yeah. And when did I meet you? I met you maybe, what was it, six months ago when I was coming out to January. In January. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And why don't you um, just tell our listeners about yourself and about your farm? Sure, sure. So I am um, originally from Ohio, and I went to Ohio State University and got a degree in animal science, and then I came to Colorado to go to grad school and went to work for Colorado State University and got a degree in beef cattle genetics and moved down here to the Durango area in 1990 and began working for Colorado State University as a researcher on beef uh, in beef cattle, mm-hmm. and in 1995, I went to work for Fort Lewis College, which is a liberal arts school and has a strong connection to the Ag Experiment Station that I was working at for CSU, and I taught at uh, Fort Lewis College for 17 years doing animal agriculture mar- and marketing courses for our two-year ag degree. And at the same time, I was working at the Ag Experiment Station doing beef cattle work, uh, organic weed management, and um, the two kind of came together in 2010 when Colorado State University decided to close the experiment station. Mm -hmm. And since the experiment station was the original site of Fort Lewis, um, I became the coordinator of what we call now the old fort at Hesperus. Cool. And it what it was a military fort. Way it was when? a military fort in the 1880s. Uh huh. Um, until 1891, mm-hmm. and it was about a hundred thousand acre fort at that time. Wow. Yeah. In 1891, they closed the fort, and they opened a Native American boarding school at that time. Mm-hmm. and uh, made the property smaller to its existing size, which is 6,318 acres right now. Mm-hmm. So we were a boarding school from 1891 until 1910. Mm. And then in 1910, when they closed the boarding school, the federal government gave the piece of property to uh, the state of Colorado mm-hmm. to be used for uh, education, and also um, to uh, with the stipulation that Native American students would always be admitted free of tuition and educated on the same level as white people. So there's only two schools in the country that okay. have that that kind of uh, I don't think of the word for charter? it charter. It's kind yeah, of a charter, in their charter right? Yeah. So in 1911, Fort Lewis started as a high school mm-hmm. on the site where we are and um, transitioned from a high school to a two-year college. And then in 1956, they moved into Durango. 
Fort so Lewis did. Fort Lewis did, yeah, which yeah. left okay. this piece of property behind. Mm-hmm. It became an ag experiment station. Mm-hmm. Um, so the summation of that history brings two things. One, our name, the right. old fort at Hesperus, which yeah. is a small town mm-hmm. about four miles north of, of um, where we're located. And it also gives Fort Lewis College uh, a, um, a charter or a premise that we um, admit Native American students to Fort Lewis free of, of tuition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that carries back to 1911. Isn't that amazing? And yeah. that was a federal government decision a, or a state government? The federal government, government gave federal. the land to the mm-hmm. state and put that stipulation in there. Ah, interesting. So we're currently about um, 33% Native American. Wow. And wow. um, we are a tribal-based school rather than a race-based school. Mm-hmm. So if you have a um, certificate from a native from a tribe, mm-hmm. you're eligible for the tuition waiver at mm-hmm. Fort Lewis College. Mm-hmm. And do you draw students from around the country? Then we do. I bet forty-seven states. Wow. Um, and. Um, well, from that, 47 different states, yeah. It has to be fascinating just it, because of all the different agricultural mm-hmm. traditions yes. that they bring with them. Yes, very yeah. much so. Yeah. Much so. Yeah, so there, there are two big things that I found um, really impressive when you and I met and were working together about what you guys were doing. I mean, first the mission that you just talked about, but, but also... Actually, there are three things. So your mission, also um, your background in in beef genetics and just your background having grown up on a beef farm, um, that the combination of those two things makes your um, farm incubator and all of your educational programs really significant and how you manage them as well. So all of those things are what got me thinking it would be awesome to have you on our show. So great. Yeah. So why don't we start um, by having you talk about your farm? Sure. Sure. So as I mentioned, we're a little over 6,300 acres. Um, About 200 of that is buildings and infrastructure. And then we have about uh, 450 acres of irrigated land on the property about six and a half acres in vegetable production. And then the rest of it is in um, forest and grazing land. I think mostly what we're going to talk about today is probably our sustainable ag program. Right. Start with whatever you want to start with, and we'll, we'll um, work our well, way through the program. We'll start with um, some of the other enterprises. Sure. We have um, 100 head cow herd okay. that we utilize the grazing on the property. Um, and it also gives us the opportunity to work with uh, students who are interested in animal agriculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also are able to market about 10 grass-fed beef animals per year mm-hmm. that we sell both direct to consumer and also um, through our our own retail outlets, mm-hmm. uh, our co- on-site country store, and um, a few farm stands that we have. So how far is your um, site, your farm stand, from, I guess, the biggest town would be Durango, right? Right, right. We do two farm stands, Mm -hmm. one on campus, Mm -hmm. which is about 14 miles 
from our location. Mm, right. And then um, we drive down to Farmington, New Mexico, mm. and do a weekly Saturday market um, in Farmington. Okay. All right. And so there are two of the farmer's markets. Mm-hmm. and um, And then do you sell through distribution at all? We don't. Right now, um, between all of our outlets, because um, we have the farm stand, we opened an on-site country store last year mm-hmm. or two years ago. And then um, we also uh, sell to Sodexo, which is our campus dining. Oh, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And is it just for your campus or does Sodexo? Just to our campus. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we're... We're just a drop in the bucket, really, for right. what they can purchase. Right, of course. That's why I was wondering. Yep. Yeah. But they are able to buy beef, mm-hmm. and they are able to buy produce. And um, so we're really excited about that opportunity to bring our products to campus in a different way, um, into the campus dining. Of course. So with the um, grass-fed meat um, or beef, you brought in some genetics, right? We did. Yeah. So we did. Talk about um, that. Our cow herd is mostly red Angus based. Uh-huh. And so we introduced um, two breeds. One is called Square Meter mm. and the other is called Murray Gray. Mm-hmm. And these are two small Australian breeds that are known for their ability to finish on grass. Mm. So we um, <clears throat> AI a small proportion of our our red Angus cows to these bulls each year. Mm -hmm. And um, we utilize the half-bloods for our grass-fed beef program. Okay. And and they look different, right? They're smaller in stature? They're much smaller. They Mm -hmm. finish out at about 1,000 pounds, and most of them are gray in color. Oh. So I bet when people come to the farm, they are noticeable. Yes. Yes, they definitely notice them. And we often get people asking for one of those gray ones. (laughs) Well, Um, yeah, I mean, all these breeds are are confusing and nobody's heard of them. So I can see why they would do that. And and why did you choose to do that? um, Well, one, we wanted to do some grass-fed finishing. And Mm -hmm. we knew that our red Angus were much too large um, Mm -hmm. to really finish on grass. Um, before they're two years of age. Mm-hmm. And the Murray Gray and the Square Meter have um, some of the highest tenderness scores in the world. Wow. And so even if they aren't as fat mm-hmm. as some of the other animals, their tenderness scores are going to far exceed um, any other type of beef that they're going that especially grass-fed beef that they're right. going to get. Right. Because grass-fed by default, I call it, is when people take they haven't thought about genetics mm-hmm. and they just take their beef cattle yeah. and suddenly say, we're going to finish them on grass. Right. And then, then you need a chainsaw to cut the steak. Right. Yeah. Right. I think there's two things that go into grass-fed beef. One is the breed combination that you use. Mm-hmm. And second is the grass that you have available. Mm. Um, we have good range grass. And then our extra boost is that in the fall, when we, after we wean the calves and we get a freeze, we mm-hmm. put all of our calves on our um, 300 plus acres of hayfield. Ah, right. So they get to finish strong in November, right. October and November. Right, to prepare on some really for nice um, uh, grass residue or hay residue. Mm hmm, mm hmm. 
Right. And you grew up doing this or some version of this, right? I did. Mm-hmm. I did, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's the the beef operation mm-hmm. uh, or enterprise, and you right. have some others then as well. Well, you can see, and the, uh, the other one is more traditional, which is the hay operation. Mm-hmm. And But you can see how we integrate the hay into our beef cattle operation right. by, fin- you know, yeah. getting them finished. Yeah. <clears throat> there at the end off the hay. And and um, here at the Old Fort, we have uh, quite a bit of water, um, irrigation water, because we were um, originally a fort in the, you know, in the 1880s. Oh, sure, and right. So we have some really high priority water right out of the La Plata okay. River. Mm-hmm. And we utilize the um, uh, the water rights to grow hay that primarily feeds our cattle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the water rights, so this year you guys are in a pretty serious drought. We are, yep. Yeah, and and that's affecting, what, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, that whole, Certainly. whole region? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know our water rights, even though they're pretty senior in mm-hmm. relative to hay production, will probably be done around the first of July. Oh boy! In terms of water, mm-hmm. um, so what do you do when that irrigation <coughs> stops? Have, has that happened before? Or? Um, in two thousand two was probably the last time mm-hmm. that we saw this kind of um, drought, mm-hmm. and um, we will only get one. Uh, cutting of hay, right? And we'll hope that it rains. And one of the things that I didn't mention about the water earlier is that we have several springs on the property. Mm. Um, when they put the fort there, they did a lot of research Enough and put the headquarters out. right next to some very productive springs. Mm. Interesting. And when we started the incubator in 2013, we are utilizing the water from the springs mm. for that because we didn't want it to interfere with our hay production. I see. So this year, you know, we're definitely going to be conservative, but we do have spring water mm-hmm. um, that uh, is used in our incubator and our FIT program. Mm-hmm. So that's... What a what an asset, right? You can see Oh yes. The water yeah. is definitely you can see one the of our fort guys wandering around with the sticks or whatever they you know, the yeah. water finder people. Right. <laughs> water witchers. The water witchers, yeah, that's what they're called, right? Trying to find the place to locate the fort. Do you do any dry farming? Um, not too much. Okay. Um there are is some south of us. Mm-hmm. But we don't do a lot of it. We have some farmers just south of us that have been very successful growing wheat mm-hmm. and some sweet corn and some vegetables, dry, dry land farming. Mm-hmm. Um, on our property, because we have the water source right. and our soil is a little different, mm-hmm. and we're at 7,600 feet. Oh, you are. Your altitude mm-hmm. is pretty high. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, we have two things going mm-hmm. against us there. One is 7,600 feet, feet, which gives us n- about 90 days of growing season. Right, right. And um, that causes it, makes it challenging mm-hmm. to do dry land, mm-hmm. um, especially corn. Right. Yeah, I suppose, right? You need need a longer um, growing yeah. period than that. Yeah. And the elevation drops pretty rapidly south as south of our property, mm. and Farmington is about 5,000 feet, mm-hmm. and it's only 45 miles away. Right. 
So as you get farther south, you can do some dry land farming mm-hmm. um, because you're not constricted by um, a June 10th frost date. Right, right, right. And the soil definitely, that you know, feeling that soil, it is very different. Mm-hmm. It almost feels silty. And it's mm-hmm. so dry. I mean, there's no weeds, right? It's like I, you can't even believe you could grow anything out there. Right. But it's, it's so different. So you have the the um the water rights, and you have some educational veg programs we around do. vegetable growing we too. We do. We call yeah. this our sustainable agricultural program, mm-hmm. and it we have several different continuums. We we think it's really important to create a continuum for education. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you live in an isolated area in Southwest Colorado. Right. Um, you don't have access to a lot of people who can um, come here just for the education. Right. So um, we have a half an acre education garden mm-hmm. that has two high tunnels in it, and we use this to work with interns from the college, and um, those interns will spend about 120 to 150 hours a summer with us, mm-hmm. um, beginning... Today, I believe, they're starting, April 30th, and um, they will work in the education garden along with our garden manager, and it's just a great way to introduce them to organic methods Mm -hmm. and also for them to see the entire um, uh, spectrum of a season. Mm. So one of the things we do different with our internship program is no, um, if they only have 120 hours, we ask them to come about 8 to 10 hours a week. Okay. So they start now, and they're done around the first week of August. Okay. And that way they get to see the whole season. They get to plant something this week that mm-hmm. they'll harvest in August. Right, right. And we think it's so important because so many of the interns want to come in and just get those 120 hours done here in May. <laughs> And check it off and be done. I see, yeah. And they really don't get the, um, you know, the real feel of mm-hmm. what it's like to grow for a season. Okay, right? so so you do, you have your internship program. So we have our education garden program. Yep. And then in um, 2013, we began a farm incubator program. Mm-hmm. So uh, farm incubators are found throughout the United States. There's currently about 130 different operational programs. Mm-hmm. And um, we were the first one in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And we spent two years in preparation for the farm incubator program by putting up high fence and creating an irrigation system Mm. and um, working on our educational classes so Mm -hmm. that in 2013 we were ready to um, accept farmers. Mm -hmm. And do they have to be students? No, they don't. Ah, okay. No. Um, So the incubator program is open to anybody in the region who wants or anyone who wants to move to the region. Mm -hmm. And we provide education. Mm-hmm. And that is a winter education series that begins in January. So from January to mid-April, we meet most almost every Monday night for three hours or so mm-hmm. and cover all the topics related to owning a business and growing vegetables or herbs or flowers at high elevation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then once they take the field on May 1st, 
Yeah. Then we offer mentoring to them. Mm-hmm. And we have infrastructure like the irrigation system. We have wash and pack stations. We have a cooler. Uh, we have a root cellar that they can um, uh, utilize. So our goal with the incubator program is to really teach them to be good growers. Right. At, at definitely high elevation um, uh, techniques. Right. Right. And by providing them the mentoring and the infrastructure and the support, they can really um, become great growers and they can market their product on their own mm. if they'd like, or they can take advantage of our old Fort Market Garden program, um, marketing program where we are the ones who have the farm stand. We sell to Sodexo. We have our on-site country store. Um, so we do purchase a fair amount of our product from um, our incubators and market it through our different channels. What a fantastic opportunity for farmers because I think I think one of the hard thing hardest things honestly for farmers is is the marketing side mm-hmm. and having having a place where they can sell right away is such a benefit. Right, certainly. Yeah, yeah. And, and we, you know, it's their choice. We give them right. the price list mm-hmm. uh, this time of the year. Mm-hmm. So we do mark up the product because we spend time marketing it. Of course. And um, they have the option as an independent business to uh, do that or mm-hmm. to um, sell it on their own. And, and how- another marketing um, uh outlet that I forgot to mention is that we also have a 45-member CSA mm-hmm. um, that uh, we start early season, which um, started two weeks ago in, in April, and that is mostly green from our high tunnels mm-hmm. that we have in the education garden. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we all go all the way to October 15th with some other plans, a main season one that starts in June and a high season one that starts in July. So that people can pick and choose different lengths of CSAs. Right, right. Interesting. So how many people are incubating farms right now? On your um, At our location yeah. or nationwide? No, in, on your location. Um, at our location this year, we have uh, six farmers mm-hmm. um, that are representing four independent businesses. Okay. Uh, one of the businesses is in their third year. And the other three are new. Cool. And oh. so it sounds like some of them have gone on to have moved out of the incubator and started their own farms? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so over the course of since 2013, mm-hmm. we have had 30 um, uh, accepted into the program, mm-hmm. 30 independent businesses accepted into the program. And 25 of those successfully completed the field season. Mm-hmm. And what we say about that is we've had people who have gone through the education program and got to the end and said, this is not for me. Right. And we find that to be a success because right. they didn't spend a lot of money to buy land mm-hmm. or infrastructure, mm-hmm. and they were able to explore farming and then decide, no, this doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, um, I think it's a really good thing because I think a lot of people, young people right now, there's a bit of romance and not just young. I mean, new people. Oh, too. yeah. Romance about farming. And then mm-hmm. they realize, oh, my God, this is a lot of work. Yes. Yeah. 
Yes, yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah, a lot of um, work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other statistics that we're pretty proud of is that of the people that were um, completed the field season, mm-hmm. 73% of them are still farming. That's wonderful. And the other 20%, uh, another 20% are in food-related jobs. Mm-hmm. And there's always a few that you don't know where they are. Right, right. Um, so we're pretty excited about um, the results that, we ha- that, that we've had. Yeah. And um, farmers can stay in our program for up to five years. Okay. And the longest we had was four years. Mm-hmm. And now they're a very successful farm here in the region. Most of, let's say 70% of them are still involved in farming. Yeah. Um, some of them have independent businesses. Mm-hmm. Some of them are working for other universities or other organizations where mm-hmm. they're doing farmer training or mm-hmm. working in school gardens or, you know, doing, um, uh, research. With, let's say, with like New Mexico State University. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, we have some that are working with other farms. Mm hmm. And then those in the food related businesses, we have some that are chefs. Okay. That are produce buyers. Right. Or and foragers. I think the great thing about that is they have spent a year farming. Mm hmm. And they sure do appreciate the local farmers a lot more after spending a you know a summer doing mm-hmm. the work. Yeah. Yeah, cuz I think one of the things that I'm interested in these days is the economic development impact of local food and farming mm-hmm. and documenting that and I think part of part of what I we're trying to get our heads around or I'm trying to get my head around is it, with a program like yours where are those people going and what kind of economic impact are they having, right? Right. So if they fledge and start their own farm and now they've, they too have workers, you know what I mean? There's, right. That's like generating multiplicative uh-huh. economic development benefits. And I think we're probably getting to the stage where you could interview some of our graduates mm, that see that, yeah. that have yeah. stayed here. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, not only are we seeing a lot more local produce right. at, in the restaurant and at the farmer's market mm-hmm. and um, in the schools, because mm-hmm. they are, some of them do sell to farm to school, mm-hmm. um, they are starting to hire people. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty excited about our program, and I'm, I'm very excited about the impact that it's had regionally mm-hmm. and allowed those people who moved here um, to study agriculture at Fort Lewis and then go through the incubator program, the opportunity to stay here. Right, right. And, and you know, it's hard to get people to stay in rural America these days, mm-hmm. right? And so there's a lot of interest in th- exploring, um, you know, ch- trying to document what the in- economic impact, right, the economic development impact is. So... Um, and you need to, it needs time, right? These people, because you said, as you said, there's a continuum. It takes them a while and then it mm-hmm. takes them a while to establish their own enterprise and grow that enterprise. Uh, it just would be really interesting given, given, you know, the number of years you've been at this and the caliber of work you've been doing with people, everything, all of that te- says to me that you've, dramatically increase the likelihood of success for those folks when they leave, right? Um, so if that's the case, it, it's an interesting 
opportunity to look at what happens economically speaking afterwards. All right. Yeah. We'd love to have you come visit and oh, cool. gather some data. Well, that, you know, I'm going to take you up on that idea right. because um, because I want to come and see your place. The more I hear about it, and, of course, the gray stakes. I mean, you know, who wouldn't want to do that? But, um, yeah, I would love to come and see the, the see your whole enterprise. It's fascinating. And when people leave, do you see them able to buy farmland, or are they mostly leasing farmland from somebody, or what does um, that usually yeah, look a, like? Yeah, that is one of the challenges of course. in our area. Durango is a tourist-based economy. Mm-hmm. Um, in itself, La Plata County has a lot of agriculture in it, but Durango um, has the Durango narrow-gauge Silverton train, Durango Silverton narrow-gauge train. Oh, okay. So, sure. you know, it's definitely a tourist base, plus all the national parks and just the mountains. Um, so land here is expensive. Yeah. And um, because of that, we uh, are, uh, this past year, have been working on land link opportunities. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, because there is farmland here that is probably underutilized and mm-hmm. has good irrigation uh, rights. Mm-hmm. So we have been working um, on matching landowners with potential farmers. Wonderful. And when did you start doing that? Um, we started two years ago mm-hmm. um, working with our specialty crop block grant from Colorado mm-hmm. and also with Guidestone Colorado, which um, kind of create, created the database to match landowners and land seekers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we've had some workshops, meet and greet. Mm-hmm. Um, to just try to get uh, get them to know each other and to get to figure out if it's really for them. Mm-hmm. It's a big decision for a landowner, absolutely, um, to be able to do that, and it's not for everybody. Right, right, and I think there's this. Oh, I don't know. I think there's a lot of naivete about that too, right? I mean, oh, it'll be fun to have a farmer on site, and then they realize that they, it doesn't quite fit what. They aesthetically thought it was going to look like, or, you know, the chickens get out and bother the dogs, or, you know, there's all that stuff. A shared vision is what we tell them is the most important thing. Yeah. You have a shared vision about the land and about the future. Mm Mm-hmm. And do you work with them then? We do some. um, We let Guidestone do most of that. Okay. All right. Um, Because it can be a very high-maintenance. Um, relationship. Yeah, I get it. I get it. You know, and that's a that's a challenge all over the country to figure out a model for that, right? That how to how to successfully um, connect landowners and farmers. There's kind of a fantasy that well, we'll just have you know the two of them will be in a meeting at a conference and they'll meet each other and that's enough, right? And it's so far from being enough. <laughs> Yeah, in my experience. Yeah, and that's what Guidestone is is working on is to try to be you know help match them up and help create the kind of relationship that needs to be created. Right, right. But it's lovely that you are involved though as the incubator, right? So, right. Um, we can... teach them to grow. Mm-hmm. We teach them to be good business people. Right. And we hopefully, when they leave here, they have some marketing skills mm-hmm. that give them the opportunity to be successful. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Okay. So, um, 
So you have the incubator. We have the education garden. Yeah. And then we have our far, our um, incubator program. Mm-hmm. And what we saw two years or three years ago now led us to create a third program in that we didn't feel like we were getting strong applicants to our incubator mm-hmm. program who were ready to start their, an independent business. Mm-hmm. So we created a program, a farmer and training program that we mm-hmm. call the FIT program. Okay. And the idea with this is it would be a stepping stone between an internship or someone who had a little bit of experience or had a degree in horticulture mm, or you know, some other sure. educational background um, to step between that and owning an independent business and growing produce. Mm-hmm. So our farmer and training program um uh, we currently have three um, positions in that program. This is our third year mm-hmm. for it. Um, the first year, we had three that farmed a quarter acre. Mm-hmm. Last year, three of them farmed three quarters of an acre. Mm. And this year, we're adding some mechanical cultivation, so they're going to farm one acre. Okay. So they go through the same education program mm-hmm. that our our incubators do, so they get to know them and build a lot of camaraderie and cooperation. Sure. And then um, we have a staff member, Alicia, who mm-hmm. works with the farmer in training as their mentor, and she creates the crop plan. We purchase all the seeds, and then they basically will be doing the work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what makes us a little different than other programs is that we pay our farmer in training. Mm. Um, we pay them approximately $3,500 for the summer, spread okay. out over May 1 to October 15th. Right. And the reason that we did that is that we calculated what we thought we could generate from the, the land that they grow mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And last year, we were able to generate enough to pay their salaries mm-hmm. and fringe, um, but we're still working on paying for all the seeds and the um, you know and the mentorship. Sure, but we are in an education business, right? So right. there is definitely some cost to that, right? Of course. Um, what's exciting about this is each of the years that we have done the incubator program, the following year they all were farming somewhere. Yeah, isn't that exciting? That's so oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it is interesting like you talk about having a continuum of of programming and um I I think what I find interesting about this is that you see it as a continuum and but you have these discrete programs because I think one of the things that causes problems for educational things around farming is that they kind of don't make it into discrete programs and and they aren't really clear about who they're serving and what program and then mm-hmm. you know what I mean and then right. then things get um they get expensive actually because right yeah, right because people and, there's f- higher failure rates and all kinds of things mm-hmm. yeah and we certainly see applicants for the fit program that we feel are are ready for the incubator program, and mm-hmm. we tell them that. Right. And likewise, we get applicants for as an incubator program that we don't think are ready. Right. And we, so we have a place for them yeah. rather than just saying no. Right. And for the incubator program, do they have to already 
have experience running a farm or have a business, or how does that work? Um, we think they need to have experience growing a very strong apprenticeship program. Mm, Um, You know, they are going to start an independent business. And we find that a lot of times they, if they have worked enough in um, a produce operation, they know when they're ready. Right, right. Um, We require them to have a business plan, Mm -hmm. a mission statement, a logo um, within the first couple weeks. Oh, within the first couple weeks. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they could yeah. be like scrambling to get it all that together in the first couple of weeks, but they yeah, in yeah, January. In I January. mean, January, February. Okay. Yeah, they get that together. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. We have worked uh, with Colorado State University through their Building Farmers Program, oh, sure, right. and now with the the staff that uh, are are kind of continuing that at at CSU. Mm-hmm. And you know, they come down and they have worked with our uh, farmers to create the mission statement and to create a good logo and that you know to really understand if they're ready for the business right right interesting that's that's so interesting and then you rent out land for hunting or something we do we have other some other enterprises we do um a very limited hunt in the fall yeah and um we also uh have um we lease some of our buildings and facilities to other entities mm-hmm. to generate money from a usage standpoint. Sure. And, um, you know, it just has to be very diverse in terms right. of revenue stream, mm-hmm. um, whether it's an educational institution like ours or it's a regular farm. Right. Um, being diverse, especially in years like this mm-hmm. where, you know, we're not going to make much hay. We're going to make enough to feed the cattle. Right. And we don't have four or five hundred head of cattle on our operation. We right. have a hundred, yes. and we're able to graze them without cutting numbers. Right, right. Because it's not our primary source of income. Right, right. Well, and and the sum total of all of that didn't didn't you tell me that when you started this, when you went to um, the Fort Lewis, you said what I want to do this, but I want to do it, and I prom- and I you know I'm going to yeah. do it on a break even <laughs> basis. Isn't that basically right. what? Yeah, we um, uh, when we when we took over in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we had just come out of the crash of 2008. Right, right and exactly. All the educational institutions in the right. country were in trouble. Right. Um, and I had spent a lot of time on the property, mm-hmm. and um, we I thought that we could move forward with this if, as long as I was able to control all of the natural resources that I had. Mm-hmm. And um, so we currently don't get any money from the college for day-to-day operations. Mm-hmm. And we got some startup money in 2010 to get us going on July right. 1 right. to make it through the year. Right. Um, and I've had some very dedicated staff that has helped us make it. Mm-hmm. Um, but each year we've been able to break even mm-hmm. and um, grow mm-hmm. um, since 2000, uh, 2010. And, and so your sources <clears throat> of revenue, when somebody comes into your incubator, do they pay you? to be in the incubator? Um, They do. Um, They pay a land lease fee. Mm, Okay. um, That the first year, it's $1,000 an acre. Mm -hmm. 
the second year it's $2,000 an acre, mm-hmm. and it goes up per acre um, to a max of 5000 if they stay for five years. Okay. And that includes all the education, the access to irrigation, the mentorship, mm-hmm. the, the um, um, infrastructure. The only thing they pay extra is they pay... Um, if they use the coolers or the root cellar, because not everybody's going to use that, so mm-hmm. that's an additional resource. They also pay a field fee, which is about $300 a year, and that helps us keep all the tools oh, and sure. the commonly used things in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the only other expense that they have is insurance. Okay. Um, and so, that cost, that's based on the acreage that they have. Sure. And the um, that they're building to five thousand an acre is that like when they leave the incubator, what would they likely be leasing land for? When they, um, you know, that's a challenging one um, because we ha- don't we in this area we haven't had a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but so I just purchasing? did hear just this week that someone was leasing um, an acre of property that had all the infrastructure for 7,000 an okay. acre. All right. Well, and I guess what I'm getting at is that that even that that fee structure is is incubating them to be an independent yes. business, right? Because Certainly. yeah, cuz they got they're going to have to pay for this when they leave. So yeah, that it forces them to build the scale of the business. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um and, you know, we uh, we calculate that the first year, if they start with an eighth of an acre, which is where kind of we start our brand new incubators, mm-hmm. um, it costs about $1,000 uh, for them to, um, for that first year. Fee, okay. Land fees. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that's a great investment in one year to see if this is really what you want to do. Oh, yeah. Um, and, Absolutely. yeah, they have to have an, an outside job to live in Durango. It's not mm-hmm. an inexpensive place to live. Right, right. Um, I was going to ask whether there was housing on the site or not. We, we don't offer um, housing mm-hmm. on the site. Um, there are incubator programs throughout the country that have um a housing on site, and it mm-hmm. really just depends on the location. Sure. Um, for us, we don't have a lot of housing. It's currently used for staff or it's leased to some of our other partners. Mm-hmm. And um, what I tell them is it's hard for me to be your landlord and your mentor mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. So let's not do that. Yeah, yeah, I get it. So they so they end up having to um, probably live in Durango or outside of Durango. Somewhere. Yeah, live in Durango mm-hmm. or or in some of the rural communities around mm-hmm. uh, around the uh, the old fort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So there and there's is there tuition for the garden program on the other end of the spectrum? Um, no, the internships are just we provide the internships to the college. Okay. Right. So the income from our sustainable ag programs are produce sales mm-hmm. uh, primarily, yeah, and then um, we pay our staff from that and buy supplies, and then also uh, you know pay our farmer in trainings each year. Mm-hmm. 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 
and and then part of the magic of enabling the the um, pro the farm as a whole to to break even is things like renting out the facilities and renting um, for hunting and right yeah yeah that whole right and we keep track of each enterprise mm-hmm. um, separately yeah whether that's hunting or cattle or hay or sustainable ag or usage and um, what we try and do is we try to budget for 20% of each one of those enterprises will contribute to the overhead. I see. Our overhead could include staff. It includes maintaining buildings, right, roads, equipment, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. electricity, phone, mm-hmm. internet. You know, right. Well, the list goes on. Right, right. Have you had to build any buildings or any kind of infrastructure, or is that was that pretty much all there when you got there? Um, we have 24 historic buildings on the property. Oh, boy, they're fun to maintain. Yeah, in yeah. various states. Uh-huh. Um, we like to say that on our historic buildings, we try to find adaptive reuses mm-hmm. for those buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, one example is that um, during the college days, of course, they taught a lot of vocational trades. Mm-hmm. and had a blacksmith shop and had a wood shop. And so we have a couple brick buildings that were used for that. Mm-hmm. And in 2011, Southwest Conservation Corps, mm-hmm. which is the group here in the region that you'll see building trails and oh, and sure. um, working mm-hmm. on uh, federal and state forest lands, they're one of our partners. And mm-hmm. so they converted the old blacksmith shop to a place where they store their tools and um, have a maintenance shop. Perfect. So they're a partner with us mm-hmm. and being able to kind of keep and maintain those buildings that were built in the 1920s. Right, right. Yeah, they're, that that's a challenge to keep those up, I'm sure. It is. Yeah, yeah. But how, how fun that that's part of the landscape. That, so this, what I, one of the things that I, I find really impressive about, about what you're doing is this... Um, attention to understanding, well, first of all, having some financial goals and record keeping for each of the enterprises and, you know, doing the best you can to keep all the expenses separate so you can track them by enterprise, you know, which which is not easy to do when you have a multifaceted enterprise like you do. I love QuickBooks and you I love, love accounting. I love QuickBooks Good thing. and accounting. It is a good thing, and not many farmers will say though that will will ever you know say that sentence. So yeah, <laughs> I love QuickBooks. And I My love mother accounting. was uh, taught accounting in high school, and uh-huh. so I got a great dose of it from an early age. Oh my goodness! See, this is another dimension to your background that yeah. explains everything. Um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of open book management. You know, the idea that um, that that everybody, the more people in the organization you can get good financial information, the better in terms of yep. making these, um, especially farming and food, they're not particularly profitable things, right? I mean, a good day is 5% net income at the end of the year, so you can't make a lot of mistakes, right? So, and have a good year. So yeah. We try to be very transparent with the staff in terms mm-hmm. of how the enterprises are performing mm-hmm. and, you know, creating budgets and giving mm-hmm. them reports at the end of the month that show where they are relative mm-hmm. to their budgets. Or, nice. You know, yeah. A staff member might come in and say, 
you know, we really need a new center pivot. Can we afford it? Mm-hmm. And I just say, nope. And on we go. Right. And you can say no and you can show them why, right? And and they yeah. can understand it too. I mean, and that for that is so valuable for um for your enterprise, but also for them to learn those things, right? It's not it's not just going to mom and asking for money for the fancy prom dress, right? It's right. I think it's, it's more, really important. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it, it explains a lot about how you've managed to do all of the things you're doing in the way that you're doing them. Um, so, so does the um, college, the college really doesn't financially support you at all or a little bit or? You know, we, we have some great support um, from the administration as we have grown from 2010 until now mm-hmm. to show that the programs that we can offer students and the community are a big asset. Fort Lewis College. Yeah, yeah, I bet. And so we've spent, you know, seven years proving that mm-hmm. and um, having some great support from mm-hmm. our administrators. Mm-hmm. And um, we just uh, selected a new president who will start July 1. So oh, I'm looking nice. forward to yeah. sharing uh, with him mm-hmm. the, um, you know, all the benefits and the assets that we have at mm-hmm. the old fort mm-hmm. and trying to decide, you know, how the program can expand. Right. And how we can be uh, an educational institution for not just agriculture and farming, but all kinds of natural resource mm, interesting. Um, uh, mm-hmm. opportunities as well. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. You are farming in a unique, I mean, unique ecosystem in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the high altitude farming that you're doing is not, doesn't look like farming in the Midwest, right? So Certainly not, no. Yeah. <laughs> So, which you know, because you grew up in Ohio. Um, right. So there's something very valuable just about that, I would think. Right. And there, and there is um, uh, just one of the things that we are currently looking at is developing a high elevation um, program, educational program that is more in-depth, maybe a six-month program mm-hmm. that would bring people in um, and immerse themselves in farming at high elevation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we have been exploring it in terms of what it would take from a staffing and an infrastructure and looking at demand. Mm-hmm. And there certainly are other um, outstanding um, farming programs in the country. Mm-hmm. There just aren't any at high elevation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's something that we're looking at over the next few years to mm-hmm. see if that's where... Uh, where we're we're heading in terms of this. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing that has come up is that we have been approached by uh, people in the area who want to take this model and um, create a ranching incubator. Mm, Interesting. Where it's livestock and side roll irrigation. Sure. And, you know, right now we're probably not ready to do that. It is a whole different level of responsibility. Right. Um. With working with new and beginning farmers uh, on produce is a lot different than when you start involving livestock. Mm-hmm. Do your do your um do your folks do poultry at all? We don't. Okay. Um, ours is strictly um, produce mm-hmm. because we don't have on they don't live on site. And right. so my concern with livestock is what if they don't come to feed them? Right. Or something happens 
Mm-hmm. You know, that puts a lot more uh, weight on the shoulders of our staff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And but there are some livestock incubators in the country yep. that, you know, are figuring it out. And there is a um, farm that's owned by the Montezuma Land Conservancy over out in uh, outside of Cortez, Colorado, mm-hmm. that is exploring being able to do more of a ranch incubator to where they can learn mm-hmm. um, how to irrigate with something besides drip, mm-hmm. you know, in a rainbird. Right, right, right. Um, but, you know, they're really early in those in the stages of exploring it as well. But mm-hmm. I think there's a demand for that as, um, um, for people who, you know, I, I loved your comment about they're not all young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> they're no, not they all. Yeah. You know, we... Um, our age range has been 18 to 55 over the last yeah. six years of incubators. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are looking for second careers. Sure. And we also think that our market for a high elevation education program, a lot of them are probably people that already have degrees. Right. And yeah. So yeah. How do you handle, how do you work with that? Yeah. With someone who already has a degree and it's not credit seeking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of questions to answer. Right, right. We move forward on this. Of course, of course. But uh, it, you've got a lovely track record of incrementally growing what you're doing. How many staff do you have? Um, we have a total of about 2.25 FTEs. Okay. Oh, no, we're up to two. What? I'm going to take that back. We're up to two and um, almost three now, but over, spread over four people. We just hired a new education garden manager. Okay. So I have four staff that are in various, um, uh, <coughs> anywhere, most of, I guess everybody's three-quarter time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So four, uh, three FTEs over four people. That's mm-hmm. where we are. Mm-hmm. And, and it seems like um, one of the other things about your philosophy is that you're giving um, management responsibility by enterprise to people. We do. Yeah. We do. There's just not possible my position as a coordinator. Yeah, of course. Because it's not just our enterprises. It's the Cub Scouts who come for a week. Oh, right. The theater company that's going to do a play in our historic library. Wow. You know, and and then it's the day-to-day operations. And we have a wonderful NCCC crew right now for six weeks doing infrastructure work Mm -hmm. and working in our orchard Mm -hmm. and doing, you know, working on our historic building. So. Right. So, and you're orchestrating all of that. That's what, that's this time of year. It's very busy. Wow. Wow. So thank you, Beth, for spending. Thank you, Sarah. It's been great visiting with you. It's been wonderful visiting with you and, um, and I look forward to coming and visiting you. And um, for our listeners, do you just want to to share a, a website address or the best way to find your farm program if they're interested or programs? I'm sure you can find us on Facebook at Old Fort at Hesperus. Mm-hmm. And then um, we have a general website, which is www.fortlewis.edu slash oldfort. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Sure, and thank we'll, you so much. We'll and be talking we look forward again. to your visit. Yes, yes. 
Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Tara. Sure. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.